Hello and welcome to today's Inside Energy and Utilities podcast. In um, today's episode, we're going to look at the um, news stories uh, over the last week that grabbed my um, interest. And that's the week ending in the 12th of July. And um, yeah, I'm going to talk about the stories that grabbed my interest. Um, this is n- by no means comprehensive, but these are the stories that stood out for me. Um, interested to know if you find uh, any stories that I really should have discussed that I haven't, uh, please do, um, do get in touch. But let me start by talking about uh, the first story that grabbed my interest and so this is now probably a slightly older actually it comes from the bbc which says uh, sunak to unveil two billion home insulation scheme um and it states hundreds of thousands of homeowners will receive vouchers of up to five thousand pounds for energy saving home improvements with the poorest getting up to five uh, up to ten thousand pounds um and the treasury said these grants could help support more than a hundred thousand jobs um Yep, so very interesting. So first thing to say, yes, this is a very welcome uh, move by uh, by the government. Um, for me, the data is an interest. Um, I've worked in this um, space uh, for the last uh, 15 years, if you like. I, I don't actually at the moment, but um, I've worked with a number of energy companies um, on, on something called the energy company obligation. And essentially, um, that's a scheme um, that... Um, uh, puts an obligation on energy companies to ensure that um, uh, they uh, fund and administer the installation installation of energy efficiency measures in uh, in households. Um, and so, for me, I've, I've got a, a big interest, and, and there's two big interests. One is to sort of fifty thousand view strategic level, and one is to sort of uh, detail uh, level. And, and the detail level is how is this going to work um, when you when um, you know the biggest sort of Pot of money for, for retrofit funding comes from the energy company obligation that, that I've just mentioned. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see from, from what I'm reading, and, and, and this was sort of very much an, an early article, and, and I think all, a lot of the detail will, will come out at, at a later stage, but from what I'm reading is this is not administered by energy suppliers. This seems to be um, run by, by government. Uh, again, that might change, or I might have missed something, but but when this came out last week, that, that wasn't very clear. So for me, that is interesting. And, and, and then, you know, the interesting part is how do you claim for those firms that install it? What accreditation do they need to have? Again, if you work in the energy company obligation slash green deal space, you have some accreditation called past 2030. How will that work on, on this scheme and how long will it run for? The other part is very much the high level view to say, as a society, we're transitioning to net zero. Um, we're looking at the COVID-19 green recovery. Um, how does this fit into the wider picture of things, uh, and, and, and how does what is the strategic um, picture here? Because energy efficiency and, and reducing our consumption is a big part of getting to net zero, um, but you get into a lot of complicated questions, such as single measures versus whole house retrofit, fit, and then the cost of whole house retrofit, and then a, a lot of homes have already been insulated and, and have a lot of uh, basic energy efficiency measures installed under previous funding regimes, and, and really we need to start looking at the hard-to-treat homes, which are your um, solid wall properties, which you can't easily insulate, uh, and, and um, the cost of, of making them much more energy efficient is also much more expensive. So uh, for me, it's a very interesting, it's a very welcome move, but it's a very interesting move and to see what's the sort of strategic picture here. So that's um, that's the first story. 
The second story actually fits in with, with sort of two stories, but it comes from energystorage.news and basically says batteries cost effective alternative to fossil fuels, UK grid operator flexibility project finds. So um, the conclusion wasn't sort of um, of interest to me because obviously um, I think most of us are probably aware of the potential of um, battery technology and, and that it's uh, cost effective and that it's got a very big sort of role to play in, in, in the journey to, to net zero. Um, so the article goes on to say batteries can offer a cost effective option for upward and downward reserve to the UK grid, a project run by AI and automation tech firm Aranko with transmission network operator National uh, Grid ESO has found. Um, the trial first announced in May found that the Electricity National Control Centre can effectively request the availability of sustained upward and downward reserve using a new operational agreement. As such, batteries offer a real alternative to thermal power plants and combined cycle gas turbines in particular. So what, what, what for me was interesting to see here wasn't the conclusion. Um, uh, as, I, as I said, what, what for me really is interesting here is see a trial and, and and where they use um arenco which is a firm that uses automation and ai and so for me the interest here is really the emergence of ai and energy um i think we'll see a lot more in the coming years and and, and you know very much in the coming months i suppose i think ai is is um yeah going to be very very dominant within energy in obviously in a lot of spaces but but in energy particularly particularly when you look at a flexible grid and and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and again, the bigger picture is when we look at the journey to net zero, we look at a lot of um, niche technologies um, and, and renewables, obviously. But for me, AI has a very big role to play in that as well. And, and, and so it's very interesting to see what does um, that mean? What, and, and how do we control, uh, how do we monitor and, and, and regulate for the use of AI and, and, and you know, every, everything that that entails. So that was a very interesting one. And, and again, on that theme, the, the sort of article that I grabbed my day, my in, um, interest the day after was um, this uh, one from currentnews.co.uk, which um, says enhanced data is a critical prerequisite for the energy transition, says Quarting, uh, and then it's obviously Energy Minister Kwasi Quarting. So the article goes on to state Energy Minister Kwasi Quarting has said that energy data will be critical to the transition to a net zero economy. In response to a letter sent to the Prime Minister Boris Johnson in June by a collection of businesses, tech companies and universities, Quateng has highlighted the importance of energy data for decarbonisation. So that pro probably actually sort of backs up the argument that, that I mentioned about AI and at zero. But um, yes, uh, I, I completely am, and, and yeah, I, I, can't, I can't agree more with, with, with um, Kwasi Kwarteng here. Um, I think he goes on to state that the future energy system will be da a data-driven energy system, absolutely. Um, for me, again, linked to, to the previous news article, uh, the use of AI um, and how commonplace that will become uh, and, and you know how how that allows for the optimal running of the energy system and the decentralised energy system. Yes. Again, 100% agree. I think what's interesting is the implications of this. And obviously we see this already. We, we see in energy the opening up of, of uh, 
of energy data and, and, and what that will do. I think we all know that the data is is absolutely essential. For me, it, it's the implication of, um, yes, data is essential. We're opening up data. What does that mean? Um, obviously, we've got the transition from network operators to system operators, i.e. managing flows and having much more data engineering capability. And, and, and so for me, the implications are um, very different skill sets, very different ways of managing the, the energy grid of the future than the energy grid of today, upskilling of uh, existing staff, um, what, what are the skills gaps that you've got at the moment, and then AI and, and the, the emergence in energy and then how data will enable that. So yeah, absolutely, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, enhanced data is a critical prerequisite for the energy transition, 100%. And it will be very interesting to see what the um, what the future holds for the um, um, in, in regards to data and, and energy. But yes, um, I don't think anyone would, would doubt um, Kwasi Kwarteng's uh, observation here. The um, fourth article that grabbed my attention was uh, from Reuters which states UN chief urges end to coal financing to spur the clean energy shift. Um, interesting, um, a, a very um, interesting uh, article for me um, here. Um, so there, there, there's a few things that, that, that I found um, um, very interesting here. So. Let's get to the article. So, uh, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres urged countries on Thursday to stop financing coal and pledge not to build new coal-fired power plants to enable a shift to clean energy. Um, so, he spoke at a virtual clean energy transition summit of 40 countries representing 80% of energy use and greenhouse gas emissions. And they discussed steps to buoy economies, cut emissions and make energy systems more resilient to climate change. Um, yeah, this was just a staggering um, article for me. Um, so, um, yeah, where, where do I begin? So, so one of the sort of things in this article that really kept my attention was, and it's a completely staggering statistic, it states that um, it, it talks about um, China moving to a more uh, cleaner way of, of, of doing things and being very much committed to that. And, and I think, you know, we have to, um, uh, sort of applaud that. But, but, but the other um, staggering statistic that in this article is it stated that China has more coal-fired coal power under development than the uh, entire US coal capacity uh, at the moment, 250 gigawatts, which is just staggering if you think all of that coal will, will come onto the, the, the Chinese grid in, in the next few years. Um, yeah, um, so so for me, it, it, what is interesting is is that this is is talked about and sort of uh, you know UN level and, and and how much the focus is on on the clean energy shift. So so, so that was a first. The other thing that that, uh, that I sort of picked out was that um, I think UN Secretary uh, General Antonio Guterres also said that the business case for renewables is is better than coal, and so I, I, again. It, Pardon the pun, but if we look at the, the sort of coal phase of, of the first energy transition away from coal, you can now clearly see that, that you know, for investors, renewables are more more attractive than, than coal. And, and I think um, we, within that, um, 
we um, can also see that with the energy transition that we will start seeing the same thing with, with other um, uh, fossil fuels and, and, and that the, the business case for renewables is going to get stronger and stronger as, as the years go by. And then when we're talking about years, we're literally talking one, two, three, four, five years, not, not in decades. And it also shows me um, here that there's a lot going on globally that obviously various countries can't control. And it shows me the, the importance of um, dialogue and discussion and, and, and obviously COP26, the, uh, the climate change conference, which has been postponed this year to, to next year due to the coronavirus. But, but it does show me that the energy transition is, is, is very much a global transition. I suppose there's no surprise in that, but I think we sometimes lose sight of that when, you know, particularly wherever you work. I work in the UK, so I'm very much uh, focused on, on, on UK politics. I have a little global look, look here and there, but you know, obviously this is a very much a global drive. And so for me, the importance of um, things like COP26 and having that global discussion, I think are absolutely um, essential. And then the final article comes from The Guardian, which says from dusted of bikes to electric dreams, uh, the UK green economy booms on back of COVID-19. Pandemic, uh, pandemic accelerates development in sustainability from businesses and consumers. Um, I did not like <laughs> this article um, at all. I, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't didn't take to it at all. But I completely agree with the um, sentiment. I think uh, one of the quotes in there comes. Um, let me let me have a look. Um, comes from Stephen Jennings, a partner at global advisory firm PwC. And he says, one of the unintended consequences of the coronavirus crisis is the opportunity for businesses to think about the future. If a company has to rebuild itself, it makes sense to reconfigure how it works to be more sustainable. And I do fully agree with that. I think COVID-19 has been a bit of a pause button and an almost reset button. And we know that the economy has been hit hard and, and that it will be hit harder as this unfolds, un, un, unfortunately, and, and, and that picture doesn't look very pretty. I think what has been interesting is that um, instead of um, what we've seen with the previous um, um, uh, crisis in, in 2008, the big financial crisis, when, when I worked in, in, in you know, when I looked at sort of sustainability, the, the, the big focus shifted away from sustainability to, to economic recovery. It seems that COVID-19 has, has almost done the, the opposite. It, 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 started, it allowed us to sort of pause and, and, and question uh, really and, and uh, you know, how do we operate in, in, in this world and, and, and what is important. And it seems to have been a rallying cry from, from you know, and every sector um, of society using this as, as a way to, to become um, to look at the future and, and, and become more sustainable. sustainable. And in, instead of economic recovery, we're talking about um, green recovery and, and sustainability sort of at the heart. So even though I didn't like the article, I, I, I fully agreed with the sort of sentiment of it. And, and, and I agree that uh, COVID-19 has um, become a rallying cry to, to do things different, really. It will be interesting to see how that sort of pans out um, in the next nine to 12 months. But um, yeah, I completely agree with the article, even though I didn't didn't like it. And and I think that those were the um, five main stories from the last week that that really grabbed my attention. 
let me know what you think of some of these stories um, and yes uh, very keen to, to hear your feedback if there were any uh, any new stories that I, uh, I really missed I hope that was useful if you do uh, want to get in touch please do so via LinkedIn or Twitter at uh, Seth van Dort thank you very much for listening <laughs>